Today's podcast is sponsored by Lara Bar, the original fruit and nut bar brand. Founder Lara American believes that a healthy mind and body begins from within. That's why she created a range of indulgent and delicious bars made from six real ingredients as close to their natural state as possible for more mindful snacking. Lara Bar gives you a tasty treat made of simple, minimally processed, vegan and gluten-free ingredients without added sugar and flavors. Simple, real, delicious. Head over to larabar.co.uk to see all the flavors on offer. Today we'll be given an introduction to resilience, confidence and conviction, a special workshop with Paul McKenna and Dr. Richard Bandler. In this exclusive, unique online experience, you'll receive guidance and personal coaching on how to overcome challenges and problems within yourself, including negative thinking and low self-confidence, and optimize your life by finding ways to be resilient and evolve in these challenging times. Through their personal interaction, you'll also learn how to access powerful resource states of mind and body, create a compelling future, and increase your self-belief. For more information, visit mindbodyspirit.co.uk. Dr. Richard Bandler is the co-founder of NLP and the creative genius of design human engineering and neurohypnotic repatterning and author of an amazing 32 books. Over four decades, he's left a legacy of books, videos, audios, art, students, and a body of knowledge that will change therapy, education, and medicine forever. He has hundreds of thousands of students and hundreds of licensed institutes all over the world. Dr. Bandler has been helping people achieve what others said they could not do and helping people learn and enjoy life more fully for over 40 years. Hello, my name is Dr. Richard Bandler, and I'd like to thank Mind, Body, Spirit for uh, putting on this event. Uh, Many of you, like me, have been locked up too long, and it's nice to have a chance to talk to so many people at once. Uh, I'm here especially to tell you about the two days that I'm doing with Paul McKenna. Uh, Most of you are in England, at least, know who Paul McKenna is. Uh, He's almost an institution, as far as I can tell. Uh, When I come into customs and they say, what's the purpose of your trip? I go, I'm teaching with Paul McKenna. They always go, come on in. Uh, That uh, He's very well known. When I met him, he had a TV show on that was weekly. And over the years, he switched from being a stage hypnotist to being a hypnotist that helped people to change their life. He's written, I don't know how many books, probably 10 at least, that uh, tell people things about how to change their life, become more successful. And we got together and put on a seminar based on one of my books. I've written 32 books. One of them is called Get the Life You Want. Get the life you want is broken into three pieces. How do you get over things? How do you get through things? And how do you get to things? And all of the techniques in that book are things that you can do in 10 or 15 minutes that will change a belief, that will change some pattern of behavior relatively quickly so that you can free up your time to focus on your future. Now, This particular seminar is focusing on resilience because this is what everybody has been asking me about since last March. Uh, That when I talk to people privately, when I do private consulting, online consulting, and I've done lots of Q and A's all over the world. I had 15,000 people in Brazil translated into Portuguese and the questions would come up in Portuguese and then the translator would tell me what it was, 
people were asking, how do I become more resilient? Because a lot of people look at the future and they don't see an end to this. Our politicians won't give us an exact date because they can't. We're, we're going to need a vaccine. We're going to need lots of cures. We're going to need herd immunity. And right now, they don't know what's smart and what's not smart to do. Uh, half of my politicians in this country are going open up the country, and the other half are going close it down again. Uh, they're not sure. Most of them are not scientists, so they have no idea how to even interpret scientific evidence. Uh, but all of us have a little fatigue with this. And when you spend a lot of time thinking about the past, this has always been what I have discovered, that people need to change their life. They need to change the way they're thinking so that it will change the way they're feeling, because that allows them to do things that they were never able to. My career for, by the way, it's now five decades. Uh, we have now, it used to be plus four decades, but now it's actually five decades. I started in 1970 trying to figure out what happened when psychotherapy was effective versus when it wasn't, when somebody actually made a change versus the 99% of the time when people weren't changing. The idea in therapy was uh, at that time, there was 160 schools of psychotherapy, all claiming they had the right approach, but all none of them systematically figuring out what seemed to me to be obvious is that when we make changes, it's about our neurology. It's not about some theory. Neuro-linguistic programming really doesn't have a theory other than things work or they don't. And if they don't, they're a waste of time. So we kept examining what successful changes were, successful learning patterns. We looked at the best architects, the best baseball players, uh, the people who were the best at everything to find out how they were thinking so we could teach other people to think that way. Now, when it comes to resilience and confidence and changing your beliefs, there's an underlying thing that really makes it all function. Uh, it has to do with our beliefs and with our ability to access determination. Uh, when people come to me, most of them were sent to me by their psychiatrists, by their medical doctors, uh, sometimes by their family, because their family became so frustrated that they weren't making any headway. Sometimes I was brought to a mental institution where somebody had been hospitalized for two or three years, and the family would tell me every time we visit them, they're worse. And, uh, and I said, well, that's not a good sign. If the treatment is making you worse, then they should reverse whatever they're doing. Uh, as a mathematician, that seemed obvious to me. Uh, now, sometimes I did fairly outrageous things, uh, and uh, I was told by many doctors they could never do the things that I did, but, and that's probably true. They have licenses which forbid them to do a lot of the things that I did. When somebody had a, was hallucinating snakes, I brought in real snakes so that they could tell the difference between the hallucinated ones and the real ones, and I'm talking loads of snakes, dumped them in the shower, looked like a scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. And when I did that, I did that so that somebody could begin to make the distinction between what they're seeing, what they're understanding or representing to themselves, and therefore what they're doing. 
And if you're looking at a hallucination and you can't tell the difference between whether it's real or not real, well, in a certain sense, our fears are all like that. We're only born with two natural fears, loud noises and falling. And uh, if, if, if that's true, then all the rest of them are learned. And many of them are learned very fast. That you go to touch something and your mother screams, ah, and it scares you. Well, that's how people learn to be afraid of spiders and snakes and, and public speaking, I believe is taught in most school systems. There are more people with public speaking phobias. But once they're learned, all we have to do is think about it and the picture in our head scares us. Most of the time when people say to me, when they come in, they'll say things to me like, well, you know, I don't think there's anything you can do. And I go, how do you think that? Because that's not really a thought, that's a memory. They've been through two years or three years or eight years of therapy and believed based on that, that nobody could help them. But you see, that's not about the future. Thinking is about the future. Remembering is about the past. And if what you remember prevents you from learning, it shrinks your ability to understand and see. It, it makes what you see and what you miss readily available. And the ability that I have is to ask just the right questions so that most of the time I can get down to the details of what it would take to give people back more time. Because all the time you, you spend worrying, remembering, regretting, all of that time adds up. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure there's somebody, because there's, uh, I've been told, over a thousand of you out there, there's, there, there are quite a number of you that every day remember one memory very often. You think about it for two minutes, and you think about it for three minutes, and then four minutes, and maybe, maybe five minutes at night, and two minutes here, and 30 seconds there. And when you add that up, if it adds up to 30 minutes, well, that's quite a bit. If it added up to an hour, it would be 365 hours in a year and 3,650 in 10 years, over 12,000 in 40 years. And that's just one thing that you regret and one thing you worry or one thing you think about and feel bad. Now, it's not that, those, that you need to forget the memory, but you need to control what it makes you feel so that you don't spend time doing it compulsively. Now, is, is there anybody out there that has a memory like that? Because you don't have to tell us what it is. I just want one person who has a memory like that. Okay, Steve. <laughs> Hello, Dr. Bandler, pleasure. You're a little tiny person in a box. <laughs> uh, so let me, let me ask you, you don't have to tell us what this is, but the amount of time you spend doing it, uh, would you say it adds up to 30 minutes, an hour, what would you say? I'd say about 10 minutes a day. So 10 minutes a day. And do you spend those 10 minutes feeling bad? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you think about this, is the memory itself life-size or larger than life? It's a, it's a smaller picture. It's more audio-digital. Just something that repeats in my head. Okay. But how do you know what to repeat in your head if there's no picture? Good question. 
normally the picture is about, I don't know, color about six inches in front of my face. But it's very close. Yes. Okay, so you have this picture that's this close. It's about six by six, right? And when it comes up, then a little voice starts. And, and if you run the picture right now and you run the voice, you get the same feeling. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that's time consuming. Okay, let me ask you to, uh, does it have a border? No, it doesn't. Like a picture frame? No, it doesn't. Okay. No. So uh, what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue. Okay. Put a two-inch blue border around it. Just draw it around the picture. Mm-hmm. And then take the border and shrink it down to the size of a small coin. Just suddenly go. And when you do that, you'll have a little tiny circular picture. Make it go all the way white, all the way black, back to the picture, white, back to the picture, black, back to the picture, white back to the picture and start doing it really fast like that now go back to the original picture put the border on it shrink it down and go really fast okay now when you do that uh uh if let me ask you if you think about the same picture that you made originally does it still make you feel bad no, the the feeling in the center of my chest went away. It's more comical okay. now. All right. Now, when you get rid of bad feelings, which is one of the neuro, this is a neurological trick, not a psychological trick. This is this is how we start to relearn things. You suddenly have ten minutes a day that you could spend doing something else. So let me ask you: Would you like to be more determined in the things that you do? Yes. Okay. Now. What would you say is the most determined you've ever been when you look at your whole life that you went up against something that was difficult and you just felt determined and just did it? You got an example of that? Yep. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is is this. I want you to think of something that's very difficult to do. Okay. And I want you to make a picture about four inches by four inches in your mind. Okay. Okay. And once you feel that that's difficult, right, then I want you to go over and I want you to just simply let that picture fade and put up the picture of the thing you're determined to do. Then I want you to go back and make that picture bigger so that it's twice the size. And when you make it twice the size, it will feel harder and then just simply disappear it and put up the picture of what you're determined to do. And then keep doing it until you got it so that it's 18 feet by 18 feet. Do it really fast. First picture, second picture, right? Then go back to the first picture, but twice as big. Second picture, twice as big. Third, go back. First picture, twice as big again. Third picture, twice as big again. Every time your feelings will keep getting stronger. You're in essence practicing difficulty, determination. Difficulty, determination. You're training your neurology to build a new cortical pathway. And you got it all the way up to 18 feet? Yep. Okay. Now go back and go through it really fast. So they go do, 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 just like that. Okay. okay. Then clear your mind and think of something else that's difficult. And you'll find that you begin to suddenly feel determined. Yeah, you're right. 
This is how you train yourself to think, not only with the pictures in your mind, but with your feelings. You see, all of your representational systems, your ability to hear sound in your head, your ability to talk to yourself, your ability to visualize things, are all designed so that, not just so you can remember what's hard, but so that you can plan in the future. You do better planning when you feel determined than you do when you feel helpless. I know that sounds obvious, but that's the nature of things. Um, okay, thank you, Steve, you did beautifully. I can tell you're a smart guy, you'll be a good student. Um, now, uh, the purpose of these 30 minutes is to give you an introduction to what Paul and I are gonna do for two days. We're gonna teach uh, a class, and this class is designed to get you to learn to neurologically train yourself so that you can get over your difficulties, you can get over your fears, but not psychologically, neurologically. NLP is about learning. And if you can learn to be more resilient, more determined, uh, if, you, if you can learn how you build confidence and how you do good planning, your future is gonna be so much better than you can believe. Uh, I've had people come to me in the depths of depression after eight years of being buried under drugs and, and, and tranquilizers and, and their doctors bring them in and they literally, the doctors say to me, I don't know what else to do. And, and they're telling the truth. Uh, they, to do this in 1975 was incredibly courageous for a doctor to bring somebody who was not a licensed anything, uh, but they had heard rumors of the kinds of things that I did and wanted to see themselves. And when they bring in somebody and you take somebody who's totally depressed and you teach them what people who got through difficult things and difficult times did, I would make the doctors take them off of drugs slowly so that they would, and they would all tell me, you know, if I take him off of this, he's gonna be bouncing off the walls. And I'd say, that's where I need him. I need him in his natural state so that we can go from his natural state to being smarter. Because if you change the way you think, it will change the way you feel and therefore change what you can do. The only question is, what do you need to know to become more resilient, more confident, and to build a new foundation of beliefs? Because a lot of people talk about belief systems. I hear this all the time from psychologists. And, and, and I went to a sales training seminar. I was supposed to give a speech. And the guy in, before me got up and he said, you know, good salesmen have the right belief system. And if you have the right belief system, then you'll always be good because you'll believe this and you'll believe. And started telling people what to believe. And people wrote it down on a piece of paper. And I'm sure they went home and it didn't change their beliefs at all. It just gave them a new excuse to be able to explain why they couldn't change. Most of the theories of psychotherapy that, and most of the training that, that I've witnessed in sales and management and in negotiation and persuasion seminars give you a solid foundation by which you can explain your inability to learn new things. And, you know, you have a name for it. You can call it resistance or you can say it's my parents' fault. You go to psychotherapy and have you go back and relive trauma like once wasn't enough. 
to me, I'm not worried about what happened to you in the past because the past can be responded to in a million different ways. But when your feelings are too strong and what happens is, is it, it interferes with your ability to make good decisions. If most of you stop right now and think of one of the best decisions you've made in your life and then think of one of the worst decisions you've made in your life, my guess is most of you will find the pictures in your mind aren't even in the same place. They'll be in entirely different locations. One will be a slide, one will be a movie, one will be in color, one will be black and white. That the difference in the length of the movies, that they're both movies, will be distinctly different. The way in which people repeat bad behaviors, drinking, smoking, uh, taking drugs, I've, I've worked with these things over the years more times than I could tell you. Uh, you know, not making cold calls when it's your job, uh, being afraid of your boss and not asking for a raise, all of these things that where your feelings interfere with what you're doing aren't because something's wrong with you. It's simply because you lack the training to change the way you feel. And the way you feel is not some amorphous thing that pops out of the sky. It's part of your neurology. All of our cortexes in our brain overlap about 30 or 40%. The difference between sound and feelings and pictures and feelings is roughly 30% the same stuff neurologically. So our entemic nervous system, the connection between all of our solid and hollow organs and our intestines forms a network which is as sophisticated as the brain and is itself it goes up through the, the old brain into our cortexes and influences everything. Fear stops us from action. Hesitation stops us from action. And thinking about the past in a way that interferes with your future is simply not helpful. You don't need to understand it. Understanding is overrated. Psychology believes, starting with Sigmund Freud, and through every psychotherapy I've ever looked at, and that's a lot of them, close to 200, I think 300 different psychotherapies, some bigger than others, and is that if you understood a problem, that somehow or other, mysteriously, it would go away. That if you understood this all came from something with your parents, that poof, it would disappear. It's a nice idea, but it doesn't work because it's not based on how our neurology learns. Our cortical pathways, billions of them wove together in your brain, talk to each other because they're, be it ever so microscopic, by size. So one neural pathway can go through a billion others because of the difference in each one is a little different, but not so much that it would get confused. When you influence those neural pathways or put other neural pathways on top of them, the learning process itself can allow you to change the way you think. If you build powerful beliefs, if you learn to be more determined, you will finish everything quicker and better. Being resilient doesn't mean that you give up. Or it doesn't mean that things get easier. But what it means is, is the harder things get, the more determined you get, so the more energy you put into it. It means that when you look at a sink full of dishes and you start washing it, that, that it's not that you get excited and then, and then run out of energy as you get to the end, so you 
leave half of them in the sink. It means the closer you get to the end, the more intense your feelings get. This is, people come to me all the time and they go, how have you finished so many books? And I said, because I never look at somebody and say, I'm writing a book. I go, I'm planning to finish a book about this by this date. So that I set it up, I start working and I get it done. Now I've authored and co-authored 32 books and I'm working on the 33rd right now. I have more books out of print than some people have in print who consider themselves writers. But that's because I finish what I start. Resilience and determination make you somebody who manifests on the planet. If in these times, you have to learn to think outside the box. Even in the toughest of times, Gandhi never gave up when he wanted India to be free of the English. And the English at that time aren't the English that we have now. The English at that time could be quite ruthless. But he decided that rather than trying to fight them, because that was a losing battle, they would all just go on strike. They wouldn't serve them lunch. They wouldn't run the buses. They wouldn't do anything. And they would peacefully march. And even when they got beat up, they just laid down and covered their heads. It wasn't, it wasn't very satisfying to just beat somebody that didn't fight back. Eventually, they got to the point where the whole country closed down. He had to think outside of the box. The coronavirus has done this to all of us, that many of us are working from home and many businesses are closing. Now, uh, there are many places in the United States, which is a pretty big place, where the, the country is closed down and there are places like where I am, where it's open. And uh, there are some people that have just taken their business, uprooted it and moved it here. And uh, I went in and oddly enough, in the middle of all of this, a new coffee shop opened up. And I went in and I said, I'm shocked that you just opened up a coffee shop in the middle of all of this. And they said, well, where we were, we weren't allowed to open at all. And it didn't look like they were ever going to let us open. So we decided it would be easier to acquire new customers than it would be to financially try to survive for a year without customers. And many people are now serving food on the curb, in the parking lots. Uh, there are all kinds of people that have found ways to flourish. And if you're asking the right questions, if you're asking questions about your future, if you clean up your past a little bit, right, you build beliefs that say that even in the worst of times, during the depression in the United States, the quote, Great Depression, not the, this depression, but the Great Depression, when the whole country was in food lines in the United States and things were terrible, there were a certain number of people that became multimillionaires. One of them was the grandfather of somebody that helped me to get in this business in the beginning. He was a psychiatrist and his, his father and his grandfather uh, literally at that time said, people are poor. And they looked at each other and said, you know what they're gonna need? really cheap clothes and really cheap shoes. So they started manufacturing, not the highest quality, but incredibly affordable things. And they made millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Uh, that if you take this time, you know, uh, oddly enough, uh, there are commercials now on television here to buy masks in every way, shape and color you can imagine. 
some people who were making pillowcases decided to make masks instead. That where there's, where there's a market in this world, and right now on this planet, there's a market because there are so many people that are missing so many things. And so a lot of them you can provide online, but we have to understand this is not going to last forever. But when it comes back, it's still going to come back with a lot of paranoia. It's going to come back with a lot of fear, a lot of hesitancy. Uh, we, we're not going to be shaking hands as much as we used to and hugging each other. The Italians are going to have to learn to keep those kisses off your cheek for a while. But as the world reopens, the, the environment for all of us who are in business, uh, especially people who teach yoga, do massage, and, 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 and there's going to be a great need for people to meditate. I'm sure mind, body, spirit is going to do a lot of business in the next couple of years. And the seminar we're going to put on is only going to allow 25 people in it. This is because I want a chance to talk to you and for you to be able to talk to me. And we're limiting the number. It's two days. Paul's going to do half of it. I'm going to do half of it. We've done this before live and in front of large audiences, but this time we want to make it intimate. If you're interested, I can guarantee you, I'm really looking forward to this. And it's nice to have things to look forward to. I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have been listening. There's nothing that I've talked about that you can't try. And uh, for those of you who don't go to the seminar, I have a lot of books. My new book is called Thinking on Purpose. And uh, for those of you who want to learn to master these techniques in your own life, uh, Mind, Body, Spirit is offering you a very unique opportunity. And uh, I'm very grateful to Mind, Body, Spirit for doing this. Uh, I've mostly only been doing Q&A things all over the planet. And my forte is in helping people to change their life, uh, not just in answering questions about the past. I'm more worried about the future, and I hope you are too, but not worried fearfully, worried excited. Because to me, when you look at the future, it's a vast horizon of possibility. So thank you, Mind, Body, Spirit, and thank all of you for listening, and 25 of you, I will see you very, very soon. you to Dr. Bowen Love for this introduction to resilience, confidence and conviction. We will be releasing the 25 tickets to attend on Saturday the 29th August at 11am British Summertime. So you can pre-register for those at www.mindbodyspirit.co.uk. McKenna is renowned for helping people overcome their most difficult problems. He was named by the Sunday Times as one of the world's leading and most important modern gurus. He's Britain's best-selling non-fiction author, selling over 10 million books in 35 countries over the last decade. And he's worked his unique brand of personal transformation with Hollywood movie stars, Olympic gold medalists, rock stars, leading business achievers and royalty. For more than 30 years, Paul McKenna has helped millions of people successfully achieve their goals, quit smoking, lose weight, overcome insomnia, eliminate stress and increase their self-confidence. He's regularly watched on TV by hundreds of millions of people in 42 countries around the world. I've been working with Richard now for long time, many years. Uh, we first met in the early 90s and we've been formally working together since the mid-90s, about 25 years. 
Um, uh, I particularly like working with Richard because no two events are ever the same. And uh, he likes to constantly up his game, which is uh, something that personally I find uh, very exciting as well. Um, we decided to work in this particular area of resilience, um, also helping people with confidence and conviction because right now the world's going through some very profound changes. And uh, we know, for example, from research, when we ask people, what is it you're most scared of? Always in the top 10 comes the unknown. Uh, sometimes higher than death. And there's a lot of things that are unknown right now. People don't know uh, how their health might be affected, the economy, uh, their future, um, and what the world will be like. So understandably, people feel anxious or they feel overwhelmed. They may have lost some confidence. They may have even begun to catastrophize. That is, they think, well, this might happen and that might happen. I'm not sure about that. And before they know it, they've created the end of the world inside their minds. In fact, um, there's a famous saying by Mark Twain, which is, I've been through some terrible experiences in my life, and some of them actually happened. So we were thinking about this when we decided to do this event uh, with Josh and Mind, Body, Spirit uh, a while ago. And we thought, what do people in the world need right now? And what can we give them? Because uh, myself and Richard pride ourselves on working with people either in big groups or individually. And one of the great things about um, the, um, the new technology means that uh, you can, in the privacy of your study or your living room, sit and watch a webinar with me and Richard and indeed join in. The goal of the webinar is actually to be you know, quite a small intimate group. But today, what I'm gonna be doing is be showing you some of the sorts of things that um, we can use to help you to be in an optimum state of mind and body so that you, first of all, feel good because if you're frightened all the time, it's not comfortable. Also, uh, when, you, when your bandwidth is taken up with fear, survival, uh, etc., over survival, how can you be creative? How can you actually think about things and ways to adapt to the way the world is? Because um, as Richard talked about in the session yesterday, he sees resilience, um, and so do I, as not just being about toughing it out, it's also about being, um, about being determined and about being creative. And he used some very interesting examples. But um, a lot of people through history, you know, have uh, shown great determination. Uh, I'd just like to talk about a few examples. I mean, one of my favorites has got to be Colonel Sanders. Uh, he gets to 65 years old. He gets his social security check and he goes, it's not much, is it? What have I got that people like? What resources have I got? And he thinks, ah. What have I got that people will pay for? My recipe for chicken, everybody loves that. So he went to his local restaurant and he said, hey, I got this great recipe for chicken. Hey, you don't have to buy it off me, but if you use it, just give me a piece, give me a percentage of every bit you sell. And they said, get lost. So he went to another one and he went to another one and he went to another one and he went to another one. How many do you think he went to before he got his first yes? 30, 50, 1,009. Edison, the famous inventor, he's well past his thousandth attempt at inventing the electric light. And uh, journalist says to him, so Dr. Edison, how does it feel to have failed more than a thousand times? He says, I haven't failed, I haven't failed once. With every attempt that I make that doesn't work, I'm closer to finding the way that will. See, that mindset was what drove him on to create 
the electric light. I mean, you've got people like J.K. Rowling, the famous author, the Harry Potter author. She was rejected by every publisher, not just once, over and over again. And it's some very disparaging letters, things like, this is too long, kids won't sit through this. It was actually the boss of the publishing house, his daughter, who pulled the manuscript off her dad's desk and started reading me. Dad, this is great. He said, you think? She said, amazing. So they gave her an advance, a very small one, I think it was just a few thousand pounds. And of course, they were going to offer more for the uh, American rights. She said, I think I'll keep those cut to a billion bucks later. The Beatles, rejected by every major record company. Jobs and Wozniak, turned down by Atari. He often gets some more education. One of my other favorites is uh, Walt Disney. He was fired from, I think it was the Kansas Star newspaper because they told him he lacked imagination. Now, what is it? that makes some people super determined. Because, <clears throat> you know, as a, as a kid, I was told, one of my school reports said, I would never amount to anything. And I went, you know what? I'm gonna show you, right? Now, some people would be crushed by that. They go, I'm never gonna amount to anything. And other people go, you know what? I'm gonna show you. Yeah, literally, the more you tell somebody that they can't. I interviewed for my podcast the other day, Michelle Moen. She's this hugely successful businesswoman. For those of you who don't know she is, she's the, the ultimate bra. And um, she's now um, in politics. She's, uh, she's a real, um, uh, m- most, most amazingly motivated people I've ever met. And she said, basically, a lot of her uh, determination came from people saying, you can't, sure, I'll show you. Now, that can sometimes be a very resourceful place, a very you know, resourceful state. Because years ago, um, I wrote a book called Change Your Life in Seven Days. And people said to me, well, how can you change it in seven days? I mean, I've heard it takes 21 days to get a new habit. I go, no, I've seen people change in seven seconds. You know, they just got to a point where I'm just not putting up with that anymore. I'm going to do things differently. Or they suddenly had an idea and they were, hey, hey, I can do things differently. And in that moment, their life changed. Or maybe you just met that particular person and you knew life was never gonna be the same again. So change is possible at any moment in our lives. And I'm of the school of thought that, you know, we should stack the cards in our favor. So I mentioned at the very start of this, um, if your bandwidth is taken up with fear, and over surviving, and by the way, that's understandable right now, given you know the way the world is, then it's often hard to think creatively and to think of other opportunities. Because as I said, resilience isn't just toughing it out. Sure, you need determination, but you also need flexibility. Yeah, flexibility is a very, very important part of resilience. Richard used the example yesterday of Gandhi. How Gandhi, uh, he would do this process where he would put himself in the position of the British negotiators and go, oh, I see, they think that they're doing the best for India. And then he realized that they didn't have the firepower to stand up to the British Empire. So he went, well, peaceful resistance. Tell you what, we're not doing anything. So, you know, no electricity for you. Nothing's getting done today. We're just going to resist. And of course, that brought brought about the, the end of the British Empire. So, I thought I'd start with a demonstration. Uh, somebody, I'd like to talk to somebody who is overwhelmed by fear and negative thinking, because um, fear has a job, it has a purpose. It says, be prepared. If I'm about to step off the curb and there is a bus coming, I want <clears throat> fear to pull me back to keep me alive. But what I don't want to do is constantly live in that because it's exhausting, 
it's also not very comfortable and it doesn't give you bandwidth for the, for the creativity you might need. So somebody who's got a lot of fear going on right now, Dr. Lizzie, hello. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Thank you. Amazing. Very exciting. Good. <laughs> now, um, you are, I've asked for somebody who's got a lot of fear, a lot of concern, negative thinking, worry, you know, that sort of stuff going on. Is that you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Now, um, as I mentioned, you know, our emotions are basically their signals. You know, fear says, be prepared, there could be an emergency, yeah? Um, yeah. You know, anger is usually when one of our standards has been violated. It's, hey, don't talk to me like that. You know, um, guilt, for example, makes us realize our part in something, so maybe we, you know, go fix it. And these are useful emotions. They, you just don't want to live in them all the time. And right now, I'm talking to people who are in a lot of fear, right? Because they're thinking about what they don't have and they can't do, and they're worrying that life will never be the same again, right? Can I ask you, I don't need to get very much into the content, Lizzie, about the fear, but you know, the, if I were gonna sit in for you for the day, how do I wind myself up? I think it's a catastrophizing going on in my head. Yeah. Um, and fear of failure, um, yeah, that kind of stuff. Okay, so <clears throat> what we're gonna do is, we're gonna have a conversation with the part of you that makes you frightened because we want it to continue to do all the positive things that it does for you, which keep you safe. But if it's catastrophizing, it's basically overdoing its job. Now, people who are quite compulsive tend to find this is a character trait. So if you're, you're probably the sort of person who's really good at getting things done, you know, and maybe, you know, you worry a bit too much about being like a perfectionist, right? <laughs> so good, because uh, I'm a perfectionist too. And if-, if Yeah, that's me. Yeah. So um, the world needs people like us, because if we left it to these hippies, I don't really care about anything, nothing would ever get done. The thing is, though, what we don't want to do is overdo it, which so is what we're going to do is we're going to do a little reset. It's a very simple process. So if you can give me your hands like this, Lizzie, there you go, and just close your eyes for a moment, and I'm going to ask you to get in touch with the fear, right? Uh, the part of Lizzie that's, that regulates her fear and, and makes her frightened, yeah? And I just want to say uh, to your fear, uh, any disowned fear, because sometimes we, we push it away because we're just too much, we're too frightened. Yeah, so any disowned fear, anxiety, stress, fear, that sort of stuff, uh, let me know when I can talk to the fear. Yeah, you can talk now. It's a massive okay. gremlin that's just taking over my body. Okay, now, if I could just talk to the gremlin, the fear. Okay, thank you. Look, thank you for doing the good things that you do for Lizzie. Your intention is to keep her safe, is it not? Yes. Yeah, and I'd like you to continue to do all the good things that you do for Lizzie without excessive fear in future. And that's possible in theory, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so it's a bit like the gears in a car. You go from first to second, to third to fourth to fifth. Instead of going, at the moment, you're just going, bam, straight to fifth, right? No, no, What I'd like you to do is to begin to ease it, unless there is a real emergency, you know, man chasing you down the street with a knife or something. Yeah, have as much fear as you want. But <clears throat> if you're doing a lot of this in your mind and it's not real, you're preparing for emergencies that never happen. And we say it's a bit like burning down the house to roast a pig. So what I'd like you to do now is to get in touch with that fear in your right hand. And tell me when you're in touch with fear, stress, anxiety. I think it's in both hands at the moment. Yeah, but I just want it in your right hand for now. The okay, left hand, I'm going to yeah. put something. Yeah, that's great. So okay. thank you, Fear. I'd like you to be there, Fear, for now, and continue to do the good things you do for Lizzie, but without overdoing your job. Now, in theory, that's possible, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Even though you don't consciously know how you're going to do it, you don't have to, right? Because your unconscious is going to do it, because I'm asking it in a specific way. Now, in your left hand, 
I'd like you to put peace, calm, comfort, peace, calm, comfort. And then I want you to move your attention to above your head, above your head, and then keep your attention just above your head and experience the two things at the same time, fear and peace, fear and calm, fear and comfort, fear and peace, fear and calm, fear and comfort. And then I'd like you to bring your hands together so that they meet. And then allow them to figure out how you're gonna be able to have all the positive things from the fear signal that keep you alive and safe, but without it being so excessive and you worrying and catastrophizing in future. Now you won't have to know how you're gonna do this because your unconscious mind is gonna figure it out. And in a moment, it'll be like there's a click that things can be different. And somehow, you won't know necessarily how you can do it, but you'll just know it's possible. And as soon as you get that click, tell me yes. Well, I've just closed my right hand. So you feel like you're going to be able to have fear when it's necessary, but it not be overwhelming? Yeah, it's like it's like I've just closed my. It's weird. I've just closed my right hand. Mm -hmm. My my peaceful hand is is just calm and taking over. Great. Now, what I'd like you to do is to pull your two hands towards you. Into that's it. Good. Pull them towards you and integrate them into you now. So you've got the ability to have fear if you need it, but it not be overdoing it and running the show so much. So you've got more peace. And if you need fear for protection, et cetera, or to be made aware, you have it. So you should be feeling quite calm right now. Yeah, I feel much calmer. I feel a bit sort of like um, a bit emotional. Okay. I also feel, um, I suppose I feel there's a bit of resistance still. It's okay. The, yep. Um, yeah. So what, we, what we're doing this is we're just resetting it. We want an ecosystem of emotions. We want you to be able to feel fear if you need to, to feel joy, to feel if, if you need for anger or frustration, you have that. But then also motivation, confidence, all sorts of things. So let's all do this now. Everybody that's, that's, that's watching, I want you to put your palms up. Lizzie, thank you very much, by the way. So palms facing up. And in your right hand, I want you to get in touch with an emotion that's overwhelming an emotion that is taking up too much bandwidth, that's stopping you from enjoying life as much as you want to. Now, once you've got that there and any disowned stress, anxiety, fear, I'd like you to acknowledge that it does something for you. It has a positive intent. And I'd like it to continue to do all the positive things that it does for you, but without being overwhelming in future. That's right. And just take a few moments to consider that. And then in your other hand, I want you to put peace, calm, comfort, peace, calm, comfort. And then put your, your attention above your head, up there, and then experience the two emotions simultaneously from down there. Fear, peace, fear, calm, fear, comfort comfort that's right that's it good and keep experiencing them from above your head and then bring your hands together and let them meet so that we are 
reorganizing the ecosystem of your emotional intelligence. So you've still got the ability to feel fear, but it's within the ecosystem of all the other good stuff. So it's not so overwhelming. And then when it feels like these two aspects of you can work together for a more harmonious life, so you don't have unnecessary fear in future, you only have it when it's absolutely necessary, and yet you have more comfort, peace, calm. When that feels possible, bring your hands together and integrate that into you. That's right. And just enjoy looking at how much calmer and more peaceful and wonderful life will be when you're free from unnecessary emotional overwhelm. And then open your eyes, come on back up. So what we just did there is a very simple process. I wanted to give you a taste of some of the things that we're going to be doing on this seminar, myself and Richard. And that is, first of all, that usually the change work that we do with people is very dramatic, often very powerful. Things that people have, you know, been putting up with for years and thought they either couldn't get over or were told that they'd have to live with or stupid stuff like that. We're often able to help people. Uh, and also um, that it's usually not such a big deal. There isn't usually a lot of weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's actually a very straightforward process. And that's some, you know, something else myself and Richard uh, um, pride ourselves on because we're not conventional therapists who want to sit there and ask you all about your problems over and over again. And they go over and over and over. Nope. The way we like to do it is to make it so straightforward and simple, but with dramatic, powerful changes that you could actually notice in your everyday life. You know, I worked with somebody last week, I got in touch a couple of days later, went, oh, I'm just not feeling the, the panic and the overwhelm anymore. I'm actually able to think really clearly to make good decisions, you know, go for the things I want. Because instead of constantly worrying about everything that could go wrong, I'm thinking about everything that could go right. I haven't lost any of my ability to potentially see the downside of things, but I've got more bandwidth to be more creative. Now, speaking about being creative, when I talked about Gandhi, um, he did a process whereby he would he would put him he would think I'm going to go negotiate with this guy. I've flowed out of myself and I've flowed into him, and I would look at the uh, look through the eyes of the British negotiator. Oh, I see. He thinks this, this, and oh, right. He thinks that. So if I address it in that way then he'll feel as though I'm connecting with him. Um, I can see what his unmet needs are. And we can find some resolution. Now, I often think that it's a really good idea to, you know, to borrow from the genius of other people. And so uh, also I like, to, I like to, to borrow from other perspectives. So we're gonna do another thought experiment right now. And for this, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put on a little bit of relaxing music because um, we're, going to do, we're going to do two thought experiments before we finish. What I'd like you to do is I'd like you to make yourself really comfortable. And I would like you to close your eyes, and just take a deep breath in. You don't have to go off into a deep trance. We're going to do some hypnosis before the end. But I want you to imagine you can see into the future and I want you to float up and out of your body and go out way off into the future. And go right out further and further into the future and even further. And I'd like you to go to near the end of your life, not the end, near. And I'd like you to look back. And firstly, I want you to ask yourself two questions. What do you wish you'd done more of? 
And what do you wish you'd done lesser? Now, it's a very interesting process, this, because um, there was a study done a few years ago, people in old people's homes, and um, they were asked this question, and nearly all of them said, I wish I'd, I'd worried less. When I first did this, I thought, yeah, I wish I'd laughed more, loved more, actually spent more time doing things I really enjoyed, and really enjoyed the people, rather than just being caught up in the, you know, endless wheel of success as it was for me. Now, I'd also like you to make an assumption whilst you're here in the future. I'd like you to imagine you've had a wonderful life. And if that's true, what must have happened? For you to have had a really, really wonderful life, what must have occurred? Was it family? Was it what you did in terms of your career? Or was it something else? What was it that made your life so amazing? As you look back on it now, get hindsight ahead of time. And while you're here in this relaxed place, let's go on a little journey into hypnotic trance, shall we? I'd like you to just begin to relax if it's safe and appropriate to do so. Close your eyes and relaxing the little muscles at the side of your eyes. And relaxing the muscles around your mouth, shoulders, and listening to my words, and the gaps between my words. Because you're here for a reason and aware of certain sensations that are all a part of this process that take you more deeply into this wonderful state of deep relaxation we'll call trance. And this is the only trance that's happening for you now. Relaxing your arms and hands and fingers down through your legs and all the way aware of your feet and relaxing your muscles even more and letting your mind relax. And then, imagine how you would look if you're twice as relaxed as you are right now. and floating into that more relaxed you and seeing through the eyes of your more relaxed self, hearing through the ears and feeling how good it feels to feel this relaxed. I'd like to talk to that part of you we'll refer to as the controller, part of you that likes to be in control. And I'd like you to continue to do all the good things that you do from the background of your experience for now. I'd like to talk to that part of you I'll refer to as a protector, the part of you that keeps you safe. Uh, I'd like you to continue to do all the good things you do, but from the background of your experience. I'd like to 
speak to that part we'll refer to as the evaluator, part that criticizes, analyzes, judges, compares. I'd like it to continue to do all the good things that it does, but for now, from the background of your experience. That's right. I'd like to talk to that part of you we'll refer to as desire, part of you that gets you things. I'd like it to continue to do all the good things that it does in the background of your experience, so you can let go of all desire in this moment. I'd like to talk to that part of you, we refer to as the seeking mind, the mind that seeks the way. I'd like it to continue to do all the good things that it does for you from the background of your experience. Now I'd like to talk to you. Non-seeking, contented mind. Right now there's nowhere else to be. Nothing to be done. Everything is as it is. Now I'd like to talk to Big Mind. How big are you? How small are you? When are you? Anything you're not? And I'd like you to take your problems and challenges, worries, stresses, fears, frustrations and just put them into this expanded consciousness and allow them to transform now. Next, I want you to watch a movie in your imagination now. A movie of you more resilient, more confident, more conviction and determination. A you that's full of opportunity and optimism. A you that's really inspired to go for the things that you want to go for, but knows that all is well. And when that movie looks really good, a movie of you in your home life, your work life, in social situation, dealing with difficult people and challenges, when that movie looks good, float into you in that movie and see through the eyes of your more resilient self, more confident self, more determined, Self full of conviction for a happier, more optimistic life. And feel how good it feels to feel this way. Because in a moment, we're going to return to normal waking consciousness. And I'd like you to bring those good feelings back with you. Feeling refreshed, relaxed, alert, calm and confident. With a renewed sense of optimism and deep inner joy. As I count back from 10 to 1. 10 nine, eight, that's right, beginning to return now, seven, six, five, you might want to stretch and yawn, four, three, two, one, that's it, wide awake, wakey, wakey. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed um, that little uh, trance we did and the thought experiment we did as well um, and I wanted to give you a taste of how easy it is to change and dramatically change or get insights into what's possible to reduce fear and worry and stress to get into resourceful states where you feel confident where you can see possibilities in the future where you can also get different perspectives 
You know, when you look back on your life and you go, yeah, a lot of that stuff I was freaking out, worried about, not such a big deal. And be able to use that to be able to design a better future, a compelling future, which is one of the things that we hope to do. So um, myself and Richard are doing, um, it's a seminar, we're doing uh, two days each or two sessions each, it's four in total. It's a small group. And the reason we wanna work with a small group is because we want to be able to work with you. Much as I like working with a thousand people at a time, I only get to work with one or two people from that group. In a small group, we work with everyone that wants to be worked with. And whilst we can't solve everyone's problems, that's not what we're promising. We want people to be more resilient, to have more confidence, more conviction, more determination, basically a way better life, and to be able to handle problems and challenges that many people are facing right now. So one of the neat things about doing these virtually is, as I mentioned at the very start, you don't actually have to travel somewhere, sit somewhere, be, you, know, you can actually do it in the privacy of your own home, your study. Uh, we tend to find like 90 minute sessions about the optimal. So after 90 minutes, you know, wow, you, uh, and by the way, if you spend 90 minutes with a hypnotist four times, you're gonna be different. Plus, um, when you're in a small group, very often the issues or challenges that other people have relate to you. So, I mean, I've always found that since I've been, you know, you'll find that a group confidence will be an issue or it'll be, um, you know, a more compelling future or it will be overcoming, you know, blocks, things like that. So very often people within the group will have the same issues. Um, one of the nice things as well about what we do is we don't have to get into all the gory content about this and that and that happened. You know, sometimes we need a bit of content, but we don't need to have all the stuff that in the past has been upsetting in order to recode it so that you get over it, you get through it and you get to it. So um, I want to thank you uh, for participating in this webinar. I do hope it's been insightful. And for those of you that have never seen the work that I do before, I hope that you've enjoyed it and found it interesting and useful. Um, also, um, there's something amazing about when myself and Richard work together. It seems our combined efforts are greater than the sum total of their individual parts. So that's my take on it and certainly the feedback we get as well. So this really is a unique opportunity to work with us. Uh, and I thank um, Mind, Body, Spirit, and uh, they um, they really do put on fantastic events. So this is um, this is a, a brand new thing for us. I think it's going to be an extraordinary experience, and I do hope you're able to join us. For more information about the Wellbeing Festival, visit mindbodyspirit.co.uk. Today's episode was sponsored by Larabar. I've been your host, Pavani Vyas, and this episode was produced by Josh Roberts and our sound engineer, Aaron Milliken. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back very soon.